Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. So uh, as we're transitioning a little bit right now, over the last uh, several weeks, we've been in this section of the Gospel of Luke, which we've been calling, uh, in, you know, it's, it's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew, but this time it's uh, the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus is teaching from a, a level place down on the seashore. A seashore. A lot of the same uh, themes as you find in the Sermon on the Mount, and yet we've, we've said that this is, a different, this is a different sermon, a different occasion. He's preaching a lot of the same themes, but maybe just slightly different variations of it, uh, preaching to his, his audience. And over the last several weeks, uh, we've been calling this section uh, Jesus taking us through basic training, that he's pulled his disciples aside, his, his followers, and he's reminding us and them that, that his way is different than the world's way. Um, and and it's, it's been pretty challenging because we found that his version of the blessed life uh, looks so different from what our world calls the blessed life. Um, and we found that uh, two weeks ago, instead of only loving our neighbors, which that in itself can be a challenge, right? He's, he's also called us to love our enemies, and then last week, he flipped everything our world says about judging and criticizing on its head. Well, this morning, we're finishing out this section of, of Scripture, and Jesus is finishing our basic training with one final lesson on what a, a mark of an authentic follower is. And so in short, he says, you know, you've listened to what I've said, um, but what matters most is not simply hearing what I've said, but it's doing what I've said. And, and you, at least, unless our modern ears hear that, and Jesus, like, Jesus wants us to do something, and, and we say, uh, this is kind of starting to sound a little legalistic, Jesus. Uh, what about grace? Before we dive in to, to this last uh, sermon or section, it's important to first zoom out and, and to get a a reminder of what true spirituality is. So in 1982, I know this is many of y'all's probably favorite song. In 1982, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder released a song called Ebony and Ivory, right? And though it's a, it was a huge, like, number one hit in 1982. Um, it's one of those songs that didn't age so well because many people consider it the worst song today. Actually, uh, Blender Magazine literally lists it as the 10th worst song of all time. Can you imagine that? But regardless, uh, McCartney, he wrote this song really to try to convey two realities. Uh, one, and musicians know this, but in order to make the most beautiful melodies and harmonies uh, on a piano, you need both the, the white keys, the ivory keys, and the black keys, the ebony keys, played together creates beautiful music. It's, it's not either or, it's, it's both and. Um, the, the second reason he was doing this, and though he didn't put it this way, uh, this is what the Bible would say to his attempts. You know, the Bible teaches that there's only, really, there's only one race, uh, the human race. And, and um, instead of our differences 
uh, being a bad thing or not a good thing, we find that they're actually a beautiful thing. And we see this in the early church too, as they, you know, this uncommon fellowship that developed with different ethnicities and, and you know, different people coming together with a shared confession that Jesus is Jesus' is Savior. Okay, it's, it's both and. Well, it, when we come to this passage and when it comes to our salvation, we know that we're not saved by our works. You know, we are not saved by what we do that has very little, nothing to do with it. No, we're, we're saved by what Jesus did, right? What And so we find, as Paul teaches, that we are saved by grace alone. It's, it's a gift by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Okay? But though we are saved by faith alone, um, once we are saved, something happens in our lives and we find that our faith is never alone. Like, like ebony and ivory, faith and works come together to beautifully mark what the follower of Christ looks like. You know, our, our faith and also our life. And so by faith, we work out what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus. Yes, on Sunday mornings, uh, but also at work or at school on Monday mornings. You know, what it means to follow Christ at the ball game. That could be hard, right? Like what it means to follow Christ at guys' poker night. Uh, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ at ladies' night out? Um, you know, what, is, what does following Jesus mean uh, for our everyday lives? Which, this brings us really a sobering question. Um, well, there's an old elephant in the room, or old elephant in the church, called profession without practice. And, uh, I mean, even before Jesus, 600 years before Jesus, God was addressing this very thing to his people through the prophet Ezekiel, saying, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. And so he's talking about the preacher, preacher talking, people coming to hear. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain, and behold, you are, and he's talking about the messenger, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Well, Jesus addressed the same thing several times, and in John 14, he just came out and said it. Right? John 14, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, and then his disciples after him kept on or continued addressing this, the Apostle John said, And by this we know that we have come to know Jesus, if we keep his commandments. John said, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Or, like we said last week, like, like teacher, uh, like student, right? We, we become what we're like what, what, by what, who our teacher is. So, which if we take Jesus at his word, and we, which we do take Jesus at his word, leaves us with really only one logical interpretation um, of the reality that we see played out every day in our lives, and it's this. There are many in the church whose teacher is not Jesus. 
Uh, J.C. Ryle said it this way. He said, being hearers and yet not doers is a disease which has never ceased to prevail all over Christendom. He said, it is a soul-ruining plague which is continually sweeping away crowds of gospel hearers down the broad way to destruction. Open sin and avowed unbelief no doubt slay their thousands. But profession without practice, and I'll add, you know, people who claim Jesus with their mouths, yet give him the finger with their lives, slays its tens of thousands. Well, I don't know about y'all, but to me that sounds heart attack serious. Um, Because Jesus is addressing something that is extremely common. And so how do we process through this? Well, Well, let's go to God's Word and see what Jesus has to say about this very thing. So this is God's word, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, uh, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush, a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house, could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is God's word. So Jesus uses just two, I love, I mean, Jesus is such a good teacher. Just simple parables to communicate uh, really colossal truth here. Um, So one of them is from, you know, horticulture, one's from architecture, one's about fruit, and one is about foundation. So those are our two points. Uh, First, fruit. You know, Jesus lays out really what's common sense to our world, right? I, I mean, everybody knows that an apple tree produces apples, a pear tree produces pears, and in the same way, like none of us would go up to an oak tree expecting to find pineapples. Man, no pineapples. Now, now we could staple pineapples to an oak tree, I suppose, right? Um, but it would just be pretend fruit. That would, at some point, it would rot away. Uh, and so, no matter what we do to that tree, to the oak tree, um, only the fruit, the, the only fruit it will naturally produce is an oak tree acorn, right? Because it's not the fruit that dictates the tree. Like, it's not all the, the external things that we put on that, that mark the person. It, it's not the fruit that dictates the tree. No, it's the root of the tree that dictates the fruit of the tree. And again, super common sense, but in a second we're going to see where this common sense breaks down in our world. But for now, Jesus says very simply, okay, that's what our life is like. That's what your life is like, right there. Uh, every one of us is like a tree. Uh, But instead of having a root, uh, we all have hearts, which in the Bible, uh, the heart was the center of our being, which means the heart is the real you um, you are when no one's looking. The real you is deep as you go. 
And whatever is there, Jesus says, has a, it comes out. Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in here, it, it comes out. And like those trees, Jesus says, we can only produce the kind of spiritual fruit that is in our nature, that is in our root, our heart, to produce. And, and here's where that common sense falls apart in our world, because the growing sentiment in the world today is that the human heart uh, is in its essence good. Now, we may have bad days, but the, the human heart is basically good. Um, and, and so we hear things like, look, you do you, and follow your heart, you know, and it's so sweet. And, and so since we think our hearts are basically good, in order to produce good fruit, I mean, the heart's there, right? So in order to produce good fruit, all we need is just a little behavior modification. And uh, that's why in the church, so much of the gospel that we hear preached is really do more, try harder. Just be better, try harder. Um, or to stay with Jesus' parable, uh, a little pruning, you know, a, a little kind of little roundup on the weeds, may, maybe a little miracle grow, and look, you'll, we'll be producing good fruit in no time. And, and that would be so sweet and so easy uh, if not the, for the fact that Jesus, uh, the whole of Scripture, and by the way, all of human history, testified to the fact that that is not even close to reality. The reality is, I mean, we are, we are crooked deep down. The reality is, because of the fall, not only do we not... Not only do we naturally not have good hearts, but it's like we're like the, the polar opposite from good hearts. Like we are God haters, naturally. God's enemies. Which means we're a little beyond the pruning, a little beyond the miracle grow. No, we need gardener Jesus to dig all the way down and uproot the entire old root system, the entire old tree of our sinful nature. And we need Jesus to plant a whole new root system in us. Give us a whole new heart. And, and that is what salvation is. And yes, I mean, we think, yes, salvation saves us from the flames of hell. Like, it saves us from hell. But it's so much more than that. Jesus gives you a whole new heart and a whole new way of life. So Jesus died on the cross to take our very real sin and shame. Uh, even the things that, that happened years ago that, that creep up and you, they're still there. To take that sin and shame on himself so that we could receive forgiveness. Um, be made new and then given the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit produces fruit in our lives. I mean, it's just what the Spirit does. Um, and weird things start happening as, as, if you have been born again. Things start happening like we actually start doing things in our lives simply because of Jesus. And then we also stop doing things simply because of Jesus. Like it affects our, our lives, be it our language, uh, be it the way we view others, how we handle our finances, how we handle our time. It, it could be loads of things. And, and the world might, might see this and say, well, that, doesn't, that just doesn't sound fun. But as a believer, it's like the joke's on them because the Spirit changes our definition of, of fun. Because compared to the intimacy and the joy that Jesus gives us, all that other stuff grows strangely dim, you know? 
So Jesus says good fruit or obedience to his word comes out of redeemed hearts and disobedience comes out of unredeemed hearts. That's just this this spiritual principle played out. And so J.C. Ryle said it this way, uh, maybe more meanly than I would, but J.C. Ryle said, it is a settled principle that when a man's general conversation is ungodly, his heart is graceless and unconverted. He said, let's, don't, let's not give way to the vulgar notion that although men are living wickedly, they have good hearts at the bottom. Such notions are flat contradictory to Jesus' teaching. And so he asked the question, is the general tone of a man's communication, what we say uh, you know, in the workplace, at home, wherever, is it carnal, worldly, demeaning, godless, or profane? He said, then let us understand that this is the state of his heart. There it is. And now look, this doesn't mean that believers never say anything bad or never do anything evil. No, of course not. But, but as Phil Riken said, the difference is when a believer sees the fruit of their old sinful nature, we, we recognize it as evil <laughs> and we repent of it. You know, we, we run back to Jesus with that. And so what he's saying is over the long haul, there will be a trajectory of, of growing in holiness. And now, y'all know how, if y'all do stocks or crypto, good night. If y'all are into that kind of thing, you know, you can zoom in on the charts and you can be like, we're crashing. Like, this, things are tanking, right? But then if you, zoom, if you zoom out, you see that even though it's in a little bit of a down period, over the long haul, things are trending upwards, right? With the spirit life is like that. Yes, we're going to sin. Yes, we're probably going to say nasty things, but we... We recognize it for what it is, and we repent, and we continue growing in in holiness. So, the question then is, what is the overall tenor in your life? Um, You know, if you were to stop and take inventory today, what does it say about your heart? What would your heart say? And you know, Presbyterians typically, I don't know why, but like typically Presbyterians are the sort that enjoy listening to sermons. (laughs) And we kind of enjoy talking about theology to varying degrees. But all that hearing and all that talking is worse than useless unless it is doing something in our lives. And, and, and this is where some preachers may lay it on thick and, and look, tell us all, like, we got to step it up. Now, there's a part of me that's like, you know, we've been preaching this stuff. I've been here like 10 years. And like, what's, what's, what's happened? You know, um, but I'm not going to do that uh, because really all I have to offer is Jesus. Um, all we have is Jesus. And so may the Spirit come and corral our souls to Jesus. Well, to help us see further, Jesus switches gears. He goes from the horticulture to the architecture, which brings us to the second point. Uh, we see foundations. Uh, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Oh, wow, right? Um, you know, I think we've noted in the past that the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew language didn't have exclamation points or like emoticons and emojis and things. Um, and so when they really wanted to express emotional intensity, they really wanted to get your attention to something twice. And so, you, you know, we've seen in the Bible things like Jesus say, Truly, truly, I say unto you, 
you, right? Like you, I really want you to hear this. Truly, truly, I say unto you, remember when King David found out that his son Absalom had been killed? And remember in just immense heartbreak, David cried out, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. You know, he's repeating it. It's emotional intensity. So as to say, right here with this verse, when it comes to Jesus, there are people who on the outside appear to be intensely emotional about Jesus. Up in the fields in worship, and they're waving their hands, and, and, and they just love the feeling that Jesus gives them. And yet notice the, the definition Jesus gives of his true followers. And look, uh, of course emotions are involved. Okay? This isn't to say that we just need to be robots and just learn things. No, it, of course emotions are involved, but there are entire churches who don't think you're worshiping unless you're like falling out in the pews, right? But Jesus never said that. Actually, if anything, how we feel has very little to do with it. Jesus says, and here's the definition of what a follower is. It's so simple, so pure. Jesus says, my followers are those who come to me and who hear my words and then do them, (laughs) period. And so anything other than that, Jesus is saying, anything other than that is lip service. Like anything other than that is telling that the gospel hasn't taken root in our hearts because to acknowledge Jesus as Lord of the universe and then not do what he says That's a pretty big disconnect. And so to give us a picture of what his followers are like, Jesus ends by looking out on his disciples who, who like us, on the outside, they all look pretty similar. You know, um, for the most part, we all wear generally the same types of clothes, right? We drive the same types of cars. We make a lot of the same types of decisions. and, um, And yet... Jesus says, underneath all those external things, underneath all that, there is a literal, a foundational difference in how his followers live life. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught this very same thing. He said, those who hear his words and yet do not do them is like the man who built his house on sand, right? On just just no foundation, And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls them fools. The Greek word there is moros, or from where we get our word moron. So Jesus is literally saying, like, you are a moron if you live your life this. I'm telling you, it's not going to end well. And so what he's saying is any old fool can plop down four walls on anything and try to make a life. You know, any old fool can build a career or build a life on their career. You know, build a life on your family, like family. Build your life on your kids, their good looks, their success. And and for a while, that foundation will hold. You know, for a while, right? You know, for a while, the most beautiful people are the most beautiful people. Um, For a while, that foundation will hold. You know, so so Jude and I built, we're calling it a fort. I don't know what it is, Judah. Uh, We didn't, there's no hammering, no concrete we took all this you know, rod and sticks on the nature trail and we built a fort. And this was months ago and it's still there. Like, it is still standing to this day. But it is like the worst, the most shoddy job, right? But it's still there. You know, we can build our lives on a lot of really shaky things and they last for a while. Um, which makes us wonder, why don't we all do that? But, when it, but, but it happens, right? Because in this fallen world, it always happens. 
At some point, the storms of life hit. At some point, you lose your job. At some point, the market tanks and, and you lose what financial margin you had in your life. Um, you age, and at first you could manage it, uh, but now you've gotten to a point where the Botox isn't cutting it anymore. Um, all of a sudden, you know, that family medical history that, you know, when you're in the, your teens and 20s, everybody says, oh, you know, there's a family history of, of heart stuff in my family. But all of a sudden, you get to an age where, like, that, that history is all of a sudden, like, your reality. Um, all of a sudden, heartbreak comes. And, and if our ultimate foundation or identity is in anything other than Jesus, then we've built our lives on sand. And when the storms hit, Tim Keller says, we will experience a self-quake. Our lives will implode on themselves. And yeah, look, our homes won't literally fall down, but, but we will. I know many of us have experienced this. You know, it happens every day. People suffer breakdowns, crises, depression, crippling anxiety. You know, for, for many things, but in this case, simply because They've sold the farm and they've burned the ships in the pursuit of sand. You know, it hurts, right? When, like, say you put 20 years into something and you realize, you know what, that was pointless. That was a waste. That was sand. J.C. Ryle put it in, into words what we see. He said, on every side we shall see thousands building for eternity on a mere outward profession of Christianity. He said, few indeed are the builders upon rocks, and great is the ridicule and persecution which they have to endure. Surely if there was a proof that man has fallen and blind in spiritual things, it may be seen in the fact that the majority of every generation of baptized people persist in building on sand. So a few years ago, uh, Walker Coleman and I went on this uh, rock climbing trip to North Alabama, and uh, we got there, we got settled in, we were trying to find a place to put our tent, and so for whatever reason, it was on the top of a mountain, it wasn't a lot of choices, and so we, we just decided, we saw this flat piece of, of limestone, just, yeah, hard limestone rock, and so we decided, we'll, just, we'll put it there, um, and so we, we put our tent on this, this rock, well, that night, a, a literal storm hit, um, and um, like we, we woke up and, and Walker, well, Walker's not here. Ask Walker sometime. I mean, like a literal river of water was flowing under our tent. And uh, which says a lot about this tent because no water came in the tent. But y'all, there was like, like the, the bottom of our tent had the uh, dexterity or the feeling of like a water bed. It's like there's a foot of water under us. Um, and if we had anchored our, our tent into the nearby dirt, I mean, look, we didn't know that we were in the watershed of the mountain, okay? There was a reason why it was so smooth right there. Um, if we had anchored our tent into the nearby dirt, we probably would have been swept off that mountain. <laughs> um, but we were knuckleheads, and we were like, we're going to sleep on this rock. But we slept on the rock. And uh, in the morning, though, we were, I mean, I was scared. Um, in the morning, we were still there. You know, we were anchored into the rock, uh, still there. You know, the... The path of least resistance in life tells us just build on the dirt. Just, just build on the dirt, right? Because it's easy. Everybody else is doing it. Um, it's, uh, it's hard building on rock. And sometimes it's not that comfortable living on the rock. So in, in 1770, a man named Thomas Hill climbed a cliff above his little cottage. 
And for the next 16 or for 16 years, and you just thought your contractor was slow, right? For 16 years, he laid siege to that sheer limestone wall. And he, he hollowed it out. He was, he was trying to make a foundation in which he could build a house on and in the rock. And it took blood and sweat and tears and his friends made fun of him. And no doubt, you know, he wanted to quit at times. And yet in the end, uh, he had a home that could withstand any storm. Well, the same is true of our spiritual life, isn't it? Uh, following Christ is not easy. Um, it, it is tremendously costly. It, it, tra- it takes tremendous courage to go against the flow every day, doesn't it? When all of your friends and everybody else is just going this way, it's so hard to go against the flow and to put sin to death. Uh, it takes perseverance to dig deep and to obey God's Word over a lifetime. And it takes sacrifices, doesn't it, to serve others and to love enemies and to die to self. And above all else, it takes faith to hold on to the promises when the storms hit. Trusting Jesus in everything, especially in the hard, is so difficult. You know, any old fool can set up a temporary life on sand. It's so easy, you know. But only those who are in Christ, those who come to Him, and hear his words and respond to the gospel in, by spirit-filled obedience will last. He says that is a life that is built on a rock. Like you're on the rock, you're anchored to the rock, you're, you will not be shaken, will not be moved. <laughs> when Jesus is our foundation, the big bad wolves can huff and puff all they want, but we will not be moved. And so I, I think I've shared this before, but uh, Anne Steele was a hymn writer uh, she wrote uh, a hymn that we sing sometimes, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. And I don't know about y'all, but growing up, I used to think that, man, people who write hymns, like you get your, you get your song in a hymn book, you're something else. Uh, you're super holy and super blessed and just, uh, what about a charmed life? But listen to the kind of heart, the kind of life that produced that hymn. You know, storms assaulted and still literally her entire life. Her mother died when she was uh, age three. And by 19, in the prime of her youth and health, she became an invalid, bound to a wheelchair or to a bed the rest of her life. And then against all odds, uh, she became engaged. Somebody fell in love with her. She became engaged only for her fiancé to die from drowning on their wedding day. Can you imagine that? I mean, like everything she had was taken away. Everything was taken away except her rock, except Jesus. And so that's the heart that cried, Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. You know, you may feel like you're dying, but on the rock you are solid. So Westminster, what does your fruit say about your life? What does it say about your heart? Uh, On what are you building your life? Uh, Because I I warn you and I promise you that anything other than Jesus, like anything other than Jesus, ends badly. Okay, So come to Him and hear the mercy and grace that are yours in Him. And then follow Him all the days of your life. 
Well, let me pray for us. Father, to quote the hymn that we sing often, the soul that is trusting in Jesus is Lord will press on enduring the darkest of storm. And though even hell should endeavor to shake, Jesus, you will never, no, never, no, never forsake. How firm our foundation, how sure our salvation, and we will not be shaken in Jesus, our firm foundation. Thank you. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.